The Cobra Organization is known for three things. <laughs> Being the notorious and perennial enemy of G.I. Joe, having a flair for exotic serpentine vehicles and pets, and epic infighting. And nowhere was this made more clear than the Cobra Island Civil War, which waged in the pages of G.I. Joe, A Real American Hero, from issues 73 to 76. This is episode 68 of G.I. Joeberg, and we're talking the Cobra Island Civil War. My name is Steven, and I'm joined by... Robert! Retreat is not my middle name, Serpentor. <laughs> and lurking in the Cobra Marshes, Special Missions Cujo. And in this episode, we talk Cobra, but we specifically talk Cobra infighting, Cobra Civil War. Now, ever since Cobra began, and there was more than one leadership figure within its ranks, there have been very intriguing plot lines running between the Cobra hierarchies. Backstabbing, betrayal, deceit, love. Destro was the first one to start rocking the boat, with the Baroness being the, the most important piece, drifting between his influence and Cobra Commanders. Then you had Major Blood, and what followed from there, Zartan, Firefly, and ultimately Dr. Mindbender and Serpentor, was a continuous power struggle in the upper echelons of the Cobra organization. And nowhere was this more clear than in the Cobra Island Civil War. Tonight, I will be representing the forces of Destro. And then I'll be representing the forces of G.I. Joe. That's, that's Robert, by the way. Uh, Special Missions is on the case, repping Cobra Commander and his cabal. What about your list, Cujo? Mm, forgot. Oh, but what- Yes, you idiot, I don't hear your sibilances. Is that the classic Cobra Commander, or is it not? Could it possibly be an imposter in disguise? Mm -hmm. Anybody could be inside the battle armor Cobra Commander outfit. Yeah, very shiny. Even Zorana. She could be in there. Voice modulator. Especially her rather manly figure sculpt. Oh. Paul will be representing Serpentor's forces. Serpentor and Einbender are here. We'd like to uh, continue the tradition of our new segment, which discusses definitive sculpts. And in this episode, uh, just because I'm feeling rather unoriginal, we're going to start at the top of the alphabet with Ace. started with our most veteran member in the last definitive sculpt discussion. I think I'm going to go first this time around because, I don't know, I'm the biggest mouthpiece, aren't I? Aren't I? Uh, yeah, yeah. Yes. We'll end off with our quietest member. <laughs> you guys can fight about who that actually is. Because I know Paul isn't up for grabs. 
<laughs> okay, so Ace. Well, uh, this has been very difficult for me because Ace is a vehicle driver. So Definitive Sculpt can't be a standalone figure. He will always be linked to his machine. And the ultimate machine that Aces have been linked to is, of course, his first and most famous, which is the Sky Striker okay. XPF-14. What did you say, Paul? Not <coughs> good. <laughs> I do adore the Ace sculpt that came with the 30th anniversary reissue Sky Striker. But that ace is rather inflexible. I mean, he seems to have a sort of an armored uh, appearance, which works very well for the paratrooper that that body sculpt, or at least the arm sculpt, uh, comes from. The helmet's amazing and very high-tech, but I don't know if it really, really defines his character as neatly as the version 1 does. It's a pity that the second version of Ace, the one that came with the Battlecopter, is so poorly painted. Because that sculpt is fantastic. Even in its later iterations with the Ghost Striker X-16, where that sculpt saw continued use, and then again in 1997 with the Thunderbolt Warthog, basically a Rattler reissue but in cool camo colors, that same sculpt was reused, but uh, sadly the Paint applications never manage to make the, the cool sculpt details pop the way I'd like them to. Because if those sculpt details were made to pop, that would be the definitive Ace. Because why? Because Ace is a take on Top Gun. And those flight suits, the green flight suits with the t-shirts underneath, it is a authentic looking flight suit. And the helmets and gas mask that the figure has as accessories are perfect. You can get that cool, like, unclipped gas mask pose out of him, you know, in the cockpit once he's yanked off his, his oxygen supply and kind of, like, mm. he's talking into the mic like that. I mean, that's... Like in Hot Shots, when that guy takes his mask off and he's got the big chin. Like, that kind of cool shot. Classic. It's sculpt is a little bit disappointing on that second version of Ace. It's kind of ugly. I've always figured Ace to be one of the more good-looking shows uh, in the team. So I'm going to actually go with version one. Astronaut or no, that is ace to me. And the fact that he fits into a classic Sky Striker perfectly, and pretty much any other jet, to be honest, because of his rather dainty sculpt, shall I say. I don't know if you want to ever really call a real American hero dainty, but he has the dimensions that a vehicle driver should have in order to be pliable in pretty much the cockpit of anything. Or a spacecraft. I mean, you'd look equally at home inside your Defiant. So, it's uh, Ace version 1 for the win for this guy. Paul, how about you, buddy? Oh, me. I'm, I'm going to be that guy that says I like version 4. Although I appreciate the sort of the authentic-looking flight suit for version... Well, technically version 3... You know, but and the the spacesuit looking version one, I think that they have really cool qualities. I just find that version four really cemented Ace for me. I mean, that is that's the Ace I own, and I was excited to own that Ace. Uh, I just love the modern representation of that character, and I thought he came across really, really, really well. Okay, I would so say you're saying Captain Ace version four, according to YoJo.com, 
yeah. uh, the 30th anniversary with the Sky Striker release. Yes, yeah, because he's got that very uh, techno-styled helmet for the harness. The harness has got that... It looks like it inflates and deflates to help him handle the G-forces. And on his legs, it looks like he's got a similar kind of thing going there. And to me, that shows a very sci-fi or the next level technology in his look, which I really appreciate. So i got to say, this one's totally my winner. And he's a lot of fun as a toy. I mean, even with uh, all of that stuff on him, he's fairly easy to pose. I mean, if you wanted him to run around and whatever outside of a Sky Striker. As well, if. What are those strange things on the backs of his boots? Those little, like, they look like metal, like, like they look metal like mug handles. <laughs> in case someone wanted to pick him up by the heels and drink him. Mm. <laughs> I don't really know what those are for. I think they have got something to do with um, the ejector seat or something like that, um, if I'm not mistaken. Well, think or maybe... about the base figure. Was his name not Airwave? That guy with the, the spring out backpack wing like wingsuit thing. Oh, the um, the the one that they named after they named that character after a Sky Patrol dude. Uh, what's his name? Oh, Airborne. Was it Airborne? Air anyway, Airborne. he was in Rise of Cobra uh, assortment, though never seen in the film. Sorry, it was Pursuit of Cobra. Yes, yeah, Pursuit of Cobra, and he's a cool, he's a very cool looking toy, and uh, actually. <laughs> It has one of the best backpacks um, in the modern era for me, but um, I like that silly-looking claw-looking bird-looking. I love it, dude. I think it's awesome. Well, it's very manga. It looks like hmm. um, Ghost in the Shell standalone complex. Yeah. Yeah, the, uh, the aircraft that they use, which have sort of like almost mechanical, mechanized wings. Yeah, it's very bird of prey. Very. Cool. Glad you like that figure. It's very good, but of course, you need to have a jet that you can basically lie down in for him to uh, be able to fit comfortably. And thankfully, they did they did expand on the cockpit space uh, in the old 30th anniversary Sky Striker. I'd say that's his biggest shortcoming, because he doesn't really fit in a lot of jets. Having tried him out with the various you know craft that I own, he has trouble fitting in um, even the, some of the smaller Joe craft, uh, things like the Ghost Hawk. And he has trouble fitting in the modern era Skyhawk even. You have to bend his knees and, and all that to sort of... You have to finagle him to get him in there properly. He's not he's not really designed to go into that kind of small space in a vehicle, which is odd. Which is why he will never be my definitive sculpt, I'm afraid. Anyway, so for Paul, that's the 2011 30th anniversary Sky Striker exclusive figure, Ace. Now, to determine who goes next... Who will speak first? Hmm. Oh, it's Cujo! <laughs> you broke the silence, buddy. All right. Your definitive sculpt of Ace? I actually I actually thought when you first suggested Ace, um, you were talking about the Ace Ventura action figure. No, that's, that's a joke. Um, Let's see. They made an Ace Ventura action figure? They, they made one. So, yeah, I, I thought that joke was going to hit. But no, to be um, with the mask action figures, which all uh, spouted phrases like uh, <laughs> "fuck off" or "you Swiss cheese." <laughs> <laughs> okay, it was actually no was. Back off, or you Swiss cheese. Back off, you Swiss cheese. It always sounded like fuck off. Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> that was a joke. Rob and I laughed. Paul, you said V four from from twenty eleven. Yeah. I like the ankle holster. That's a nice touch, but that that sculpt does not excite me. 
Incidentally, there's a precedent for the ankle holster in the Battlecopter sculpt, which I love that sculpt. I hate the colors. But anyway, carry on. No, sculpt good, color bad. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to side with Steven with the V1 because he does look a little strange, but he kind of feels like he, he's the same place as the AT-AT driver. You know, he's got the same paint job, relatively the same duties. And I always imagined Ace getting in a fist fight after his plane goes down, and you know you got to end it with the headbutt with the face shield as it shatters. That, that's <laughs> that's Ace's uh, destiny. So V1 for me. Great. Rob? Incredible. Round us up, buddy. <coughs> well, I'm also going with version 1. Oh, version 1! <laughs> the clear majority. Well, I mean, as you said earlier, um, it, you'll never really get this figure separate from a vehicle. And I think the best vehicle he's ever come with was the original Sky Striker. And, um, and I think he's a really cool looking version. And I don't mind that he kind of looks space-ish. Because that's, that, you know, kind of lends him more usefulness. You can play with him in more areas of, you know, land and air and space. And the sculpt is, you know, it's pretty straightforward. You said he's quite svelte. Got a nice look to him. He could be kind of like Tom Cruise's ugly brother. Um, <laughs> and yeah, the colors are, are muted. He's got a little gun on the front of him. So there's nice detailing. He's even got a knife, which I think is quite cool. So he's, he's rocking a knife there, and he's got a gun. And there's a little bit of the techno stuff in front there, and it's little pockets. And it's less of a G-suit than like a 1950s pressure suit. It's very... Like retro, yeah, even very for nineteen eighty three retro. Yeah, um, and then he's got you know the little crotch piece is a is a different slightly different red, the gray and stuff. It almost looks like it should be like a, a cobra crotch piece, but um, <laughs> yeah, he he traded undies with the Strato Vipers. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there've been other good versions. I think Paul Source is also a very good version. He looks like a modern fighter pilot. The only thing I find issue with it is that the helmet is a bit weird. It's at least the way that maybe I'm not putting it on correctly, but it doesn't seem to fit properly onto his head. But it looks super cool. The Air Commandos 3-pack, uh, I don't suppose anyone has much familiarity with it, but it featured a very cool ace. Uh, it was a Toys R Us exclusive. Uh, it had Wild Bill, it had Starduster, and it had an ace in a green flight suit with a nicely sculpted helmet. That is a very cool, pliable ace, but its exclusivity kind of keeps it from being definitive, for me at least. Yeah, you might as well just get a cool green payload instead. What I plan to do is use the sculpted body from Slipstream that came with the 2004 Spy Troops Conquest way up to a limb here, so if any of you listeners are, are, are following me, keep, keep following me down this rabbit hole. I'm going to take that slipstream body because it uses the version 2 Ace Sculpt, which is perfection, and it adds all the necessary paint apps to bring out the details. I'm going to use the Ace Head and Helmet on that body sculpt, and then I will have the ultimate pilot for my forthcoming Ghost Striker X-16. It's in the mail. It's coming. It's coming to a YouTube channel called G.I. Joburg near you. <laughs> in review form. I will be the first person to review this toy on YouTube. 
toy failings be damned. I love neon colors and spring-loaded missiles. <laughs> You're and the boner. Don't forget to mention the boner. The boner, yeah. The trigger, bam. Yeah, I want a flashlight with wings, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Gents, I think we've killed this topic dead. Can I just say that the worst sculpt for Ace, I mean, we, we're taking out New Sculpt Era, I really do find that the the one that they released, the 25th anniversary one, where he looks like Slipstream, is a bit done. That must have been an error, and bless Yojo.com in their slavish uh, attention to detail, they still listed it under Ace and not Slipstream. But yeah, no, Ace don't rock no stashes. Sorry. Exactly. I mean, uh, even on the file card, it reads Captain Ace and everything, you know? And Brad J. Armbuster, but now he's got a snore, you know? So it's weird. Time to adopt my alter ego, Destro, for the discussion of the Cobra Island Civil War. And go. <laughs> well, my first <laughs> comment on the Cobra Island Civil War is that it kind of starts out of nowhere. <laughs> The reasons for it are particularly petty. Have you met anybody? <laughs> I mean, at least for me in the Marvel run, it, obviously you have the silent interlude, that's revered, that's the Bible to a lot of people. But the Cobra Civil War made an equal impression on most older Joe fans at that time. Um, I'm not sure why, looking back. It, you know what, I am sure why. Because it, it took out somebody that the older Joe fans did not respect. Uh, which I'm sure will arrive at that moment soon enough. I find that in reading the arc, you kind of feel, not pity, but you sort of start to side with Cobra Command in a weird way. They kind of write it in a in a sense that you feel, hey, you're kind of backing Cobra Command up in an, in an odd way. It's like they demonize Serpentor quite a bit. They like make him, they make him the bad guy, even though he's a good choice for a bad guy. <laughs> It, as soon as I start talking, you're not going to be able to shut me up. So let's 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 see what Destro brought to the party. What do you got, Stephen? Well, I would just start by discussing <laughs> the weapons and equipment used on the Cobra Island Civil War, and how you saw an interesting changing over of the guards from the old to the new. Serpentor made use of rattlers, his tanks, and battle android troopers, while Cobra Commander made use of the newer Mamba attack helicopters and maggot artillery weapons. Damn it, I thought those were my Mambas. And of course, it served as an adequate introduction to my forces. In the demon tanks and anti-gravity pods. Hell, even the Battle Force 2000 got a little nod in the Cobra Island Civil War. And we had the first appearance of the G.I. Joe's Rolling Thunder. So it was a huge opportunity to showcase a lot of new equipment for 1988, all in one fell swoop. Did anybody really fall in love with the new Destro? Like, is there a contingency out there yes. that likes I Goldhead Destro? Think, happen to think Goldhead Destro is quite smashing. He has a fantastic outfit, befitting of someone who fights in a battle. And the only opinion that matters... The only one who needs to fall in love with the new Destro is, of course, my queen, the Baroness. And judging by that gorgeous black bikini she's seen in on my luxury liner, well, she does indeed love a gold helmet. 
<laughs> Destro shiny, I get it, and you might want to cover your, your kid's ears right now. But we all know he's a submissive dude. He's got a collar on, so he's not a real player in the game. He's just got a lot of toys. Is, am, am I being unfair to Destro? Well, if you are true in that analysis, he's certainly doing his damnedest to try and be a player. I mean, he arrives in force with a force equal to his the, the other factions, basically, if not greater than. I mean, if you see that splash better. page of Destro's arrival on the scene, and I know we're kind of jumping chronologies here, but <laughs> like it comes at the end of issue 74, he's got troops for days he's got armor he's got close air support he's got muscle i mean i'm not saying that he's like feeble and he's always just... presented as a superior military commander to his contemporaries it maybe i mean he plays chess but he he defers to the queen i guess we all do though um as did uh cobra commander yes but we're not talking about cobra commander yet anyway Let's uh, let's put these things into better perspective. The reasons for Cobra Civil War are numerous. Cobra has always had infighting as a strong theme to the, their entire organization. It's constantly a situation of, of one-upmanship and usurping control. But the, the exact um, plot device that, that brings about the... Uh, Cobra Island Civil War comes back to the creation of Serpentor, in every regard a more suitable leader for Cobra, or so we thought. He was an amalgamation of the greatest military minds in existence, who became an immediate and very direct threat to the real Cobra Commander. So much so that Cobra Commander goes off to try and lead troops in the field, winds up getting himself compromised and buried underneath the ru ruins of the pit. And basically from then begins a, a very quick march off the face of the, the Cobra map. First bumping into his, his son Billy in a coma, uh, and then finding Fred uh, and getting his assistance in, in getting prosthetic arm and leg for, for Billy. And then deciding to hell with Cobra, I'm going my own way. I'm going to be a daddy and a good person for a change. To which Fred says, fuck you, Cobra Commander. <laughs> you don't get off that easily. I believed in you. I believed in this. I believed in us. And now you're just going to walk away? Forget it. Blam. Which is a pretty fatal-looking shot. If uh, you turn your minds back to that fateful... Um, panel where Cobra Commander gets shot through the chest. I mean, that looked like a pretty severe gunshot wound, wouldn't you say? Yeah. Yeah. Fred failed me. <laughs> like, when you first saw Cobra Commander with the handlebar Fu Manchu, how did that hit you? What does that mean to you? <laughs> um, people with moustaches shouldn't be trusted. Fred assumes Cobra Commander's identity, goes back to Cobra Island, and offers a legitimate challenge on Serpentor's sole leadership of Cobra. Of course, everyone's asking, is this the real Cobra Commander? Did he survive? And the only person who can confirm this is indeed the Baroness, who takes Fred aside, has him take off his mask, and of course Fred's like, hmm, I guess this means the jig is up. Baroness, however, thinks... No, I can use this to my advantage. 
we're going to play this off like you are indeed the real Cobra Commander. And off they go, trying to, to fool everyone else that Fred is indeed the real Cobra Commander and that the real de facto leadership of Cobra is now in the hands of, not Fred, but the Baroness, who's pulling the strings and is able to blackmail Fred. Anyway, things are still not entirely rosy for Cobra, and a number of disastrous failures mean that Serpento is still very much not in favor of handing over leadership to Cobra Commander. Ultimately, they get into a little bit of a lover's spat while waiting for Star Viper to return from his infiltration mission to Joe headquarters, where he stole a black box. ACDC, baby. ACDC, baby. Star Viper, my goodness, that character had so much potential. He was made so cool in one issue and then briskly shelved. Anyway, Star Viper arrives on Cobra Island to see the two leaders bickering amongst themselves, basically boiling down to a, a lot of name-calling. Serpentor pushes Cobra Commander out of the reviewing stand, and they break into fisticuffs. Yep, the only action frame of them fighting Cobra Commander does have leverage. Just want to point that out. Paul, will you do me... Will you lay out Hama's resume? Like, his his bio, real quick? So hopefully you guys are enjoying some beverages. Yeah. Yeah, I'm beverage. I haven't got a beverage yet, but I have a means of getting one to me if need be. <laughs> nice. nice. Girlfriends are useful for something. Yeah, definitely. You heard that here on G.I. Joburg. <laughs> <laughs> Blowing podcast. <clears throat> Kujo, the only thing I can actually really say for Larry Homer is just that the man has served in the military... He is a writer, he is an artist, and he has been an actor. And also used to have a band, and I think still has a band. He understands mental discipline, does he not? Very much so, yeah. I mean, because he's obviously had to do a lot. Plus, he grew up in an America where they weren't very favorable towards anybody that was Asian, Japanese or not. When I look at pictures of Hama, uh, recent ones, like maybe from the Jokon and stuff, you can see in his eyes that he, he he knows what's going on. So, like, when I'm looking at Cobra Commander, and that new battle armor is so offensive to me visually. Just the color schemes, the, the silver leggings are, are kind of tragic. The, the, the Darth Vader-looking helmet doesn't work for me. But let me, let me call on you, gents, for a second. Did this figure or this look ever really find your hands? I still don't have one. What about you, Steven, Rob? <laughs> you are an old school fan par excellence. I mean, like you are. Uh, is there anything newer that that doesn't um, uh, catch you ill at ease, Kuja? I do. You know, I've referenced Sigma Six, so, so don't pull that card. But um... <laughs> okay, well, eighty-seven was a tough sell for the Cobra fans specifically. Uh, updating Cobra Commander's look is never going to be easy because. You know, the battle dress uniform sort of tunic thing was great. You had the option to have the rag head or the chrome face battle helmet. Easy. But those two, they never offered Cobra Commander protection if he ever was in the heat of battle. Yeah, but that never bothered him because we've seen the water moccasin box. Um, <laughs> but let me, let me go here, though. Like... Hama wrote the, the Marvel line, did he not? Yes, yes, he did. 
So when you you're introduced to Cobra Commander in the Marvel comic series, the first time you see his face is a tight shot. So it's basically the 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 mirror. And his line is, I will kill all of you. And of course, reflecting in that mirror is the October Guard and the G.I. Joe. So to me, that's Hama on purpose saying that I'm I'm both of you. I'm the worst of you. So like it and, and like right now people are like, oh boy, here he goes. Um but if you're into numerology I'm saying that. <laughs> not yet. If you're into numerology, you know CC means 33, and 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 it goes from there. Uh, the Venom Blaster is not a gun; it's a microphone. Uh, it just uh, happens to have a trigger. You know, the double-breasted suit—that means that there's posturing going on. You know, and to kind of cap it, if you if you're still stranded, the belt buckle, guys. I mean, like it's a triangle. You don't see that anywhere else in in the Cobra line. So. Tahama Cobra Commander is is the shadow government. He he doesn't lose because he doesn't have a face. Um, he's an agenda, and, and Hama spells that out early when he says, as Cobra's introduced, it's a ruthless terrorist organization. We still hear that phrase, dude. So Hama was awake when he wrote that sentence. When Cobra Commander gets capped, that Fu Manchu to me means the old school's dead. The Crimson Guard were, were plants, you know, that they were all over. They were us. So Fred's the new school. Uh, he's going to fake it till he makes it, I guess. He, he seems pretty tough. And then he kind of turns out to be a stuffed shirt. Uh, what say you, gents? Couldn't agree more, man. It seems like as soon as he takes up the mantle of Cobra Commander, all of his chill goes out the window. Because when we're first introduced to him, he's the guy with all the answers. He's a mechanical genius who can make prosthetics that respond to your mind, basically. Something that they're only actually doing for uh, conflict zone veterans who've lost limbs now. Oh. So, okay, nothing short of a genius there. And clearly an ambitious guy who believes in Cobra more than, more than its leadership does. It's like... Cobra Commander's turning his back on the organization he built. Well, then, fuck him. I'm going to take up his mantle and continue his work where he left off. So he was filled with all this good stuff. You know, very, very good character stuff. Very ambitious stuff. It seemed like he had a plan. But as soon as he gets to Cobra Island and he's faced with leadership proper, the wheels start coming off. So his successes are mediocre at best. Uh, so that's already a very intriguing character arc. I mean, Cobra Commander always had his failings, but he was definitely large and in charge. This guy was more of an everyman, and that's why that's why the battle armor Cobra Commander action figure is a plot point in and of itself, because it's not Cobra Commander. When I first saw that action figure, it wasn't even the action figure I saw, I fixated on the, the packaging, and I said to myself, this doesn't look anything like Cobra Commander. It is not Cobra Commander. It was evident to me that even though I hadn't read the Marvel comics up until that point, I would not accept that this was Cobra Commander. So there's something very intuitive about how that action figure's sculpt and design was used as a plot point in the comic books. And I think, I don't know if that was like a, a childlike moment in, in Larry Harmer's scripting where he was like, 
okay, this action figure doesn't look like Cobra Commander. Let's let's run with that. Let's make him not Cobra Commander. And that was something that I picked up on as a child, looking at this art as well. We were both kind of hit, struck with the same epiphany. Or maybe I was, I don't know, just a psychic? Psychotic? I think the <laughs> thing with that Cobra Commander is that none of us feel that that's Cobra Commander. I mean, when It's the any Shredder, us, man. You know? So any, yeah. when any of us saw him, we were all like, okay, yeah, like that's not the real Cobra Commander. So like you were saying now with Larry Harmer possibly t- running with that gag, that was that's you guys are probably very right. It's probably very intentional, you know, to make it that way. Also, uh, this event happens after Sunbow stopped the GI Joe cartoon because you never see that Cobra Commander in the cartoon. Yes, you do. Then, Operation Dragonfire. Oh, you took the Sunbow. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah. And then with Deke, yeah, he comes back again. But then he comes back again with the hood. So uh, Operation Dragonfire, they first put him in the armor. Yes, that's correct, yeah. Mm. And, and because they obviously thought, oh, that's what he looks like now. That's trendy. But then they found out very quickly like that people were very like incensed by that. They were like, that's not Cobra Commander. That's Fred. <laughs> you know, or something. Well, I'm with you, gents. Like... I, I didn't even like his hair color. So basically, it's him, him and Baroness. And Baroness had leverage. She, she didn't exactly capitalize on it. She was more of an opportunist. But even the fake Cobra Commander inherits uh, surveillance, which is the old Cobra Commander's game. And we have, like, the bat with the uh, VCR head or whatever. Even though different people are taking on roles, you have uh, Serpentor, who, let's just call him Donald Trump. He's there to bark. He, he's there to point fingers and, and tell people how to live and stuff. <laughs> Mindbender is a threat to me. I, I am wary of Mindbender, but... Oh, and I guess I'll talk about my armament. I, I hate maggots, and I hate worms. This is where I broke away from the G.I. Joe line initially, because Cobra's blue and, and red and all those, like, hot, passionate, all those colors. Brown did not work for me, and I, I'll say that for the Mamba pilot, too. Like, the Mamba is a sleek-looking vehicle, but but that pilot didn't hit because what are you doing wearing olive? Like I don't like that. <laughs> True. In fact, uh, it's very evident that the artists responsible for the Cobra Island Civil War, and I think it was Rod Wiggum, in fact, in fact, uh, got those figures mixed up. He uses a gyro viper as Maverick, or the colorist gets it wrong. But basically, like there's a panel where. Gyro Viper speaks as Maverick, and Maverick speaks as the Gyro Viper. Uh, I can direct you to it. It's in uh, issue 74. Oh, it's in it's in issue 75, actually. This. Well, then that's not actually Rod, Rod Wagner, then. No, it's not Rod Rod Wiggum at all. It's the the other artist. I think at this time during the the line, they were publishing the comics twice a month. So to kind of be able to do that, they had to have two separate artists. Well, well, talking about the Cobra, the battle armor, what I think is quite cool about it is it almost, um, like Fred was free before, you know, being himself and believing in Cobra, and then when he becomes Cobra Commander, he kind of traps himself inside his armor, and it's kind of like a visual representation of his being trapped. It's his prison. Yeah. Yeah. Very much so, because... It's easy to be an idealist, but when you actually have to do the job, do the legwork, then you understand, oh, wow, okay, this person, is, there's actually a lot more happening. 
Yeah, I also got that impression. I also found that once he was in there, that was kind of his new prison. Not everybody can rock a, a Fu Manchu. <laughs> <laughs> I think Cobra Commander wears a Fu Manchu stash purely because Cobra Commander himself is fairly flamboyant as much as he wishes to remain incognito. And it was a good way for readers to go, oh, wow, that guy looks like super bizarre. And then the words on the page can marry with your brain. You can go, oh, wow, that's super bizarre. And the words on the page go, this is Cobra Commander. Well, maybe it's a misdirection. I mean, it's a fake mustache. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, he kept those, like, John Lennon shades on the whole time as well, didn't he? Yep. He did. So even when he's unmasked, he's still disguised. He's somewhat. still hiding. He can't fully come out into the open. Oh, yeah. Cobra And why do you guys think that is? Do you think that, that, that maybe Cobra Commander, like his face, do you think that he is very well, like very recognizable? Do you think if people had to see his real face, they would uh, instantly recognize him? Because why would you have to disguise your face uh, in public when nobody knows who you are? If you think about maybe the way that um, the devil works, yeah, he doesn't necessarily reveal himself. He works in subtle methods and subtle ways. And if you ever see the true face of evil, yeah, it would completely defeat that form of evil. I think. Yeah, it's maybe. Too I mean, obvious, and you you're like you have to shy away from that. So that's why it always has to hide behind something to be more beguiling. You've just invoked Satan on G.I. Joburg. That's, that's got to be history right there. Maybe it's because he looks like Fred. There's nothing that I can back this up with other than my own conclusions, but Fred has been cloned. So who is Fred a clone of? The original Fred. So who's to less, say the original Fred is and more uh, cosmetic surgery to make them look the same. Because I always understood it as they were cloned. No. The Crimson Guardsmen were... were given surgery to look identical, which I, I've never understood. I suppose it's so that they can replace one another? Yeah. So you I do these so. very exclusive runs of, like, Freds. So Freds and Jasons and mm. David. Yeah, that was, that was uh-huh. trying to tell us that there's clones among us. Probably. They live among us. What do you guys make of this line that Serpentor says? They're marching towards the landlocked freighter, and... Serpentor says, who can we count on, Dr. Mindbender? And Mindbender says, Tomax and Zamoth, with their elite Crimson Guard, are loyal to you. We also have the Bats. In other words, I command a legion of the nameless and the soulless. By soulless, I assume he means the battle android troopers. By nameless, does that refer to the Crimson Guard? I would say so, definitely. Conceptually, that's what they are. They're like, they're they're all of us. I mean, they're they're, they're replaceable, and they're all the same. Yeah, I guess they so. don't have their own identities anymore. They've been given new identities to be able to work better as tools of Cobra. I'm, it's actually kind of a brilliant swingers network if you think about it. If anybody's <laughs> next time. Well, mm-hmm. I've never fantasized about having a twin brother and and being able to go into school like every other week. All right. Uh, <laughs> I thought I was going somewhere completely different. <laughs> Kuto brings up swingers, and then, then you're like... I know. I'm sorry, go guys. Go to school, and you can swap out with... What? Totally. You can go to the mall while your twin does the exam. Oh, okay. I thought I thought we were still on, like, a sexual vibe there. I was like... Get your mind out of the gutter, boy. Before we lose our credibility... um has got it. Like, honestly, I just, got a, I just got an idea. Joe Con, the Collector's Club... 
why don't you do a uh, next year's convention at the island right off the west coast here and it'll be cobra island in 2017 that would be pretty impressive any any island off any coast california because i'm you know biased but that'd be dope take us to an island cobra island let's do it come on joe con do it thank god at disney world sucks <laughs> better an island disney world nah Instead of doing a, a, what is it, a paradrop, they can put, uh, like, frogmen on little rafts. On your favorite hydro sled. Send them out to sea. In LA, that'll never float. Excuse the pun, but it was intended. Because they <laughs> see it as some kind of pollution. Yep. Well, we, we got plenty of plastic in the ocean. Terrible. Exactly. Uh, terrible idea. Well, why don't you speak up, Serpentor? I, I know you're holding back. Let loose. I'm just listening to the usurpers speak. It's not usurp. You're a puppet, my friend, at least in this conversation. Because you you're a carnival barker. That's what he is. Like, he's got the answers. Serpentor is no carnival barker. He has the oh. blood of kings. Yeah, don't we all? Uh, no, <laughs> real kings. <laughs> I'm scared of Mindbender. Serpentor's shiny, dude. People that are shiny, they're not dangerous. I'm scared of Mindbender, too. Anybody who can walk upright like that with a dong the size that he has, that's impressive. That's something to be scared of. I, I, I don't know where you're going for that. Have you not seen the action figure? Actually, oh, fair enough. Mindbender, fair enough. Mindbender's packing, you know, some heat. That makes them don't a compensating situation. <laughs> He's got the silverware down there. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, um... Well, he's got the balls to go off and ask G.I. Joe for assistance. I mean, that takes some doing. That does. To be a Cobra honcho and, like, fly off and uh, request the assistance of the G.I. Joes. Yeah, I mean, that whole conversation when he, hey, G.I. Joe, <laughs> we're in a pretty well, tight spot. <laughs> I, I felt like the affiliations were off because obviously the Cobra twins would have sided with Cobra Commander because... They know that people that work behind the scenes never never fail because they just spin. So I, I don't I don't know about that affiliation. Mindbender, I can I can roll with that because he's got ego, you know, he's got the monocle. Creation. He's also responsible for creating Serpentor. Yeah, Serpentor's his creation. He's kind of invested in that. He's like, this is the ultimate leader because I made him the ultimate leader. That's a good point. I think with Tomax and Samot, they I don't know. I think they perhaps also are are caught up in the sway of a really, really charismatic leader. They paid that for the ultimate leader. Uh, I don't know, it was kind of losing the way when the, the twins joined the scene. And I don't think Fred had done much to inspire the, the twins' confidence. No, but, this this was Baroness's game. And ultimately... So, I, I think Serpenta was responsible for the Cobra Consulate idea. And that certainly would have won over the more business-savvy members like uh, Tomax and Zemos. Serpentor understands that you need to have a very strong upper echelon. You need guys on the floor to fight the war, and you need guys behind tables to negotiate the terms of those battles. And he does sort of try to form that. He does try to keep some of the more sort of intelligible people around him. Obviously, Baroness is not big on Serpentor, but that's because she can't manipulate him. She can't sway him. He's not driven by the same needs as a normal human being. His needs are greater than that. He feels he has a calling. He feels that he's supposed to rule the earth. And she's not banging Serpento either. And this is something I want to talk about. The politics of 
Baroness's sex life. Didn't <laughs> we say that for episode 69? Yeah. Oh! Vaginal void. Sniper! Uh, I think, Sniper! I think it's, it, it's topical to mention uh, it just briefly, because does anyone get the impression that she's being played by Fred? Because if she's playing him and she's indeed acting all meek, the art and the the scripting of the comics don't really convey that. It seems like Fred is very predatory and he's pushing all the buttons. She's playing it icy cold, but she's still going along with it. So she seems quite submissive all the time, actually. Maybe she's actually still secretly very loyal to the real Cobra Commander. Maybe she's trying to figure it out. What I'm trying to say is like she knows that he's not the real Cobra Commander, but she's still loyal. That's her thing. Like, she just feels that she can just be loyal to this idiot, and if maybe the real Cobra Commander turns around or she gets the opportunity, she'll take it to control. You know, because obviously, like you said, you know, she's struggling to get control of Cobra, even though we're supposed to feel that maybe she's manipulating things. Like you said, Steve, I don't feel that she's totally in control. I sense an almost reluctance when Fred seduces her, both in issues 73 and then... In the uh, G.I. Joe yearbook number four, I think it was, any instances where I've seen Fred hooking up with Baroness, it seems like she's not really um, terribly enthusiastic. He kind of forces himself on her and she just acquiesces. Maybe she's very much still in love with Destro. I mean, I don't want to sound like, you know, the romantic or whatever in in the group or whatever, but... Maybe she still is very much in love with him, with Destro, and that's where her confusion comes from, possibly. Like she still gives uh, gives up her cookies, man. No, I, uh, I mean... Somebody like Baroness sex is a weapon. Uh, now you're onto something. My goodness. I think that, like, uh, power is Baroness's drug. Fred is just a, a toy to her, but a useful one. So, like, as soon as Destro rolls up, regardless of how he defers to her, he is the muscle. So, like... How does this thing end? With her uh, sunbathing now? Mm-hmm. Black yeah. bikini, baby. Yeah. Speak up, Joes. Like, what What do you bring to the table? <laughs> well, what I find interesting is that, I mean, the Joes are already on the move. They've obviously, you know, realized something's going on on Crabrook Island. And so they move in, you know, they're, they're playing it safe. They send in their recon team. And that, that that's a cool moment as well. Like, as Dr. Mindbed is leaving the island, you have this cool the Mamba's kind of approaching each other, and it's a nice little, like, sequence at the end of the first issue. And then the Joes are kind of going about their own thing, and then from above, they're told, you have to work with this faction of Cobra. And they're like, ah, do we really have to? And then, because, I mean, it's the, you know, they're a military unit, they have to follow orders, and so they do. They're forced to side with Dr. Mindbender and Serpentor. And they go full force into that... <laughs> <laughs> or even Yo Joe. <laughs> and you know they, they just go fully up, up, up in there with everything that they have. They give it their all, but they do feel like pawns. Yeah, which makes you wonder: Is um, Serpentor and Serpentor's sort of rise to power a direct result of something like the Jugglers? Because if Cobra Commander's gone all renegade, that means that the Jugglers or whoever might be pulling the strings is starting to lose or has started to lose control of Cobra Commander a long time ago and ordered somebody like Mindbender to create Serpentor so that they had a new face of terror so that they could 
you know, push their, their own sort of government uh, governmental agendas. Uh, it's something I feel is inferred, but not, yeah, not so much in the actual pages. So, guys, I'm not just pulling at strings here. <laughs> so, it's more like... I, I don't think, like, Hama wants people to dig. Like, you don't make toys and then say things like NATO and Warsaw. Like, Hama, Hama knows what's up. And honestly, we're all better for having read his stuff. So... I don't think you're reaching. Well, something with Hama, like if you ever read his Facebook posts, the man really doesn't give a shit if people agree with him or disagree with him. He's he's really like one of those people who he's quite happy to have an opinion. And if you like it, you like it. If you don't like it, tough. He's also somebody who's open to debate, but doesn't exactly necessarily like having some full-blown argument. And I've seen that. I've seen it a lot. He often posts on Facebook like, Oh, this guy unfriended me or that guy unfriended me because he didn't like my political views or he didn't like this or he didn't like that. He really doesn't give a shit, but he's quite happy to like say why somebody's done something like that. He feels the need to like educate because I think he feels a lot of people are really dumb and very much into themselves and don't really think about what's going on around them. What I'm saying is I'm backing up what you're saying there, Kujo, with somebody like Larry Homer. I think he very much is about open your eyes. Uh, I wouldn't go as far as to say lizard people open your eyes, but... I would say definitely, like, open your eyes, like, hey, you know what, you're not the only special snowflake here who has an opinion. Everybody else has got an opinion. Everybody else is figuring shit out, too. Cobra Law is not real, buried somewhere in the North Pole. Just checking. You don't have to tell me you agree, brother. We all share one mind here in Joburg. Yeah, carry on, Cooch. Yeah. Rob was telling us about his lineup. What was I saying? All right, I'll just, yeah, like, and then the Joes are drawn into it. And they kind of have to go along with, you know, the one side, despite the fact that they really don't want to. They kind of have to. And it's even so incomprehensible to the guys on the ground, the recon team. Now they have to kind of like, you want us to capture that tower and help out the Cobras? No way. Do what you're told to do. (laughs) I like how they explain, though, that uh, the decision to go in on the side of Serpentor is made easier by the fact that it's essentially a a monarchy instead of a fascist dictatorship. So politically, he's the more favorable side to back. The way the United States sees it is that as Serpento being the Cobra Emperor, he is in fact legally entitled to rule, and that's why the Joes are being sent in, which is, I mean, hopeless politicking. I mean, ultimately, it's all about which side possesses the black boxes that... uh, the American military command want to get back. Yeah, yeah. I mean, literally, the, the quote itself is, um, it all boils down to whether we support a constitutional monarchy or a fascist dictatorship. And then, of course, Hawke responds, I suppose the generals of the Pentagon get their black box back as part of the deal. But of course, says Dr. Mindbender. And if you read between the lines, that's Hawke's way of saying you're going to use whatever flashy terms you want to to motivate us going in in support of one side as opposed to the other. What it all comes down to is the fact that you just want your toy back and you're going to back whoever you can get it from. It also paints a very horrible picture in the form of today's politics, or at least what's sort of happening today. I mean, Serpentor is ultimately going to turn on that government, on his American backers eventually. That's why I wouldn't say he's like Trump, Kujo. I would say he's more like Saddam Hussein. Well, you did drag us into the deep end, but maybe I, I pushed us into the water to begin with. <laughs> but as far as the uh, the attack on the freighter, did that set piece really inspire any battles later with your action figures? Like, 
Did anything about the Cobra Civil War, did any of those set pieces find you? I think they're really awesome set pieces. I mean, and, and the cool thing is that a lot of the action is contained, essentially, in, at those two locations. Or three, I suppose. You know, the airfield at the container and a bit at the um, Cobra Castle or Cobra HQ. And they do all feel very inspirational for toy playing or just, you know, playing with, with toys. You have this, this very dangerous flying with the C-130s into the airfield and then tanks facing off against each other and they kind of stand off, yes, at the, the tanker itself. I mean, it's, it's really straightforward and easy to understand. As a kid, it's really cool when you think about it, like, oh, the Joes are attacking Cobra Island, and the Joes are, like, going to go and, like, destroy the Cobra organization. Yo, Joe, this shit's going to be insane. And only to be, like, sort of turned away or to be told to cease fire due to bureaucracy. So it's cool seeing that battle as a kid more than it is to see that battle as a grown-up. And those set pieces are, for me at least, are a lot more interesting as, uh, as a kid. The anticlimax of the end of the Cobra Island Civil War, I think, would have been hugely disappointing to me as a kid, as indeed it was to read as an adult. Obviously, but uh, yeah. my favorite set piece has got to be on the second page of issue number 74, where you've got this amazing aerial battle happening between Cobra aircraft, like Rattlers shooting down Mumbas, and like the Rattlers are winning, which I suppose would happen in actual fact if these two types of aircraft were to engage one another. Most jets. The helicopters would be cut up by the jets. But the Rattler in question is um, using its its top-mounted turret in a way that the toy can't replicate. It seems to be firing over the pilot's canopy, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, firing forward, basically, which is... Angles, brother, angles. Yeah, (laughs) I guess. Well, that's a bit nitpicky. I mean, it still looks pretty awesome. It looks terrific. But those muzzle flashes are right on top of the canopy glass. Anyway, uh, it features the Baroness, like, basically calling the odds and telling uh, Cobra Commander that there's no way they could keep up this assault because they're just getting chewed up. Because you get a nice overview of, like, the the maggot's armor sort of moving up in a kind of a, a V formation, uh, trying to take the, the landlocked freighter. And then that sequence has a cool payoff because... True to form, or true to what she was threatening, Baroness is overrun, her forces are decimated, and she then communicates the loss to uh, Cobra Commander, or Fred, by propping up a Televiper's camera gun (laughs) on his dead body. Like, all the guys around her are dead, and she's still alive, and she's hanging out at the back of a maggot with this camera basically propped up on the operator's body and communicating to Cobra Commander that way and that is so horrifically macabre and kind of you know if you if you take the time to understand exactly how many lives were lost in the Cobra Island Civil War I mean this was a major major conflict in the G.I. Joe and Cobra story yeah well no G.I. Joe's died but I mean definitely a lot of Cobra's died wasn't your boy Scoop on the scene? Negatory he was only released the following year Oh, Probably why okay. this is my favorite story, because, you know, Scoop isn't in there. But what I did like about this also is the, I think the way that Larry Harmer wrote the story or the way that he described the certain panels is that you often get a good overview of the action a lot. Yes. Like he always sets it up really nicely and, and these kind of like 
especially I think issue 75 where you have um, they're at the airfield and you have this, these tight shots early on and then it kind of slowly pulls out in a couple of panels and you get a really good overview of like where everyone is in relation to each other so you can kind of picture that in your mind a lot of the time and in case you had any trouble printed at the end of issue 74 you actually got a map which then gave a breakdown of the Cobra leadership schism and the organization for the G.I. Joe advisory and support group on Cobra Island, which is amazing. Well, what an absolute um, asset to have. Yeah, you were in there with Understanding how the yeah. whole thing went down. And they show uh, the direction the C-130s approached, the route that the whale takes, the route that Destro's landing party takes. In the original, yeah, issue, but not in the trade paperback, though. So yep. if you've got the trade paperback, sorry, guys, you don't have that. But what uh, do you have? Ultimate editions, it's in there. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, just, just fork out a couple of extra bucks for those uh, hardcover Ultimate Editions, guys. But the, <laughs> they're worth it. They are. don't have that. In issue 73, there's a really cool wide shot when the um, Cobra Stiletto is coming into Cobra Island. It actually shows you where everything is necessarily. Oh, yeah. You can see the airfield. You can see uh, Cobra Castle. You can see the um, landlocked, freighter. landlocked freighter, and then there's even a... The Cobra Terradrome. Cobra Terradrome, and there's something else behind the... The amphitheater. The amphitheater, yeah, with a... The Terradrome. You know, with the, with the uh, dreadnought singing that awesome song. Cold Slither, you'll be joining us soon. A band of vipers playing a tune. Yep. Love that song, man. With an iron fist <laughs> and a rectile hiss, <laughs> we will rule. Yeah, yeah. Nice. But that battle ends with maybe one of the more provocative images in the in the comic run, where uh, Baroness ends up as a hood ornament on a hiss tank. Gentlemen, what were your thoughts when you saw that? Fever hunting. <laughs> that hiss tank's bulletproof. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is. It's pretty hectic. I mean, it, it's quite a provocative choice on the part of Serpento to kind of just lay her out there. I, I beat your forces, and, um, you know, there's nothing you can do about it. Now I'm coming for you. Here's my trophy. It's Does very he... psychological warfare, I think. Yep. Does See your reference? enemies fall before you. Hear the lamentations of the woman. you got to do it with an accent, Paul. Uh, what I do find quite amusing in that panel specifically is that... Serpentor says um, whoever shoots Cobra Commander will get their weight in Cobra stock certificates. And there's a chorus of all hail Serpentor happening behind him. But all of the gunners that are sort of chanting all hail Serpentor are in fact battle android troopers. I wonder how excited an android is going to get about the prospect of getting its own weight in Cobra stock certificates. <laughs> it's a, an entrepreneur bat that would be uh, interested in that, I suppose. They hear the orders, and then they, the, the rest of it doesn't necessarily compute for them. So he's almost making an in-joke for himself. <laughs> Serpento does not make in-jokes. Crush your enemies, see them driven before you, and hear the lamentations of their woman. This I command. Very good. Are we leaving out any pivotal points, or shall we bring the most dangerous man on the field into conversation? One thing about Serpentor, which is a huge disadvantage to him in this war, 
before we move on to that point is Cobra Commander sees people as objects, whereas Serpentor actually sees the value in human lives. The weakness is that he doesn't really command much in the way of human lives because his army is primarily bats, which is a much better strategic option for somebody like Cobra Commander. Because Cobra Commander likes, he also doesn't always have the balls to push things through, or he'll push things through enough, and if he feels like he's not going to win, he'll take his stock back. But with Battle Android Troopers, Cobra Commander doesn't always have that restriction. Whereas Serpentor values the honor and the bravery of human lives, and this is seen in earlier issues when Serpentor picks up a fallen Cobra officer and, you know, sort of makes a big deal of it. I think that's a huge disadvantage to Serpentor in the Civil War. Just something, just to throw that, that out there. Don't know if you guys feel the same way. Well, Rob has just made an intriguing discovery. Sure, in that particular panel that I was talking about, the Battle Android troopers were in the gun turrets of the Hiss tanks, sort of rallying behind their leader, rather oddly, since they're androids. Yeah. But in the cover art of issue 75, and then in the issue itself, the Battle Android Troopers are behind the wheels of the His Tanks, and it's the Crimson Guardsmen that are in the gunner positions. Ah. So, yeah, Serpento was working his charm and charisma on the actual flesh and bone uh, members of his command, who, indeed, as Crimson Guardsmen and notable businessmen and lawyers would have an interest in Cobra stock certificates, for sure. Not that you can really clear that up properly in issue 75 with the uh, the fill-in art of Marshall Rogers. Notorious for doing a demon tank in green. <laughs> oh, well, right. that, that's now Yontov's fault, I think, the colorist. Yeah. But still, his art, it, it's just incredible that there was no... That's probably one of my the weak points for me of this the Cobra Civil War overall, is that it had to be it was being published twice a month, and then you had to have different, you know, an artist on every even issue and an artist, a different artist on every odd issue. And there was obviously no communication. Two of the most obvious things. General Hawk is wearing a completely different outfit and he looks very different in, uh, in Rogers' uh, issues where he's kind of dressed in uh, all green. He just looks like a kind of... Original 13 version. Original 13, you know, kind of just a army grunt guy. And then the other very obvious difference is that the castaway on the island... Oh, yeah. Captain Min. Captain Ming. Min. He looks completely different as well. Whereas uh, Rogers draws him as, like, the uh, the salty dog <laughs> with his, uh, this very thick beard and beanie on. He's originally shown with no beard. <laughs> kind of, like, shorter hair. And and his clothes have suddenly changed color as well. <laughs> yeah, he's sprouted a beanie. It's, his real name is Dave. <laughs> Very odd. But anyway, I, I think I've derailed the points you guys were trying to make. He quickly stuck on a beard because he didn't want to be recognized by Destro's forces. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably Hama referencing the Mandela effect. It's time for Zartan, right? Yeah, oh, oh, definitely. Time for Zartan to wrap this up, baby. So the Dreadnoughts are featured at, like quite a bit up to this point as well. With Cobra Commander riding around in the Thunder Machine and he's like, it seems like he has no one else left to fall back on other than the Dreadnoughts to kind of help him out. They're protecting him at the HQ. They're driving around, driving him around on the on the fields. And Zartan, 
Well, Zartan's bringing up the rear with the armor. Uh, obviously, the Dreadnoughts were able to race ahead, and Cobra Command is sort of insistent that, that they get there first and do some damage, which they do, but then they run straight into Destro's forces. Yeah. And that gives rise to probably my least favorite uh, passage. I mean, not only do you have a demon and a thunder machine engaging each other almost point blank with no regard for minimum range, but the thunder machine gets blown onto its side and Thrasher uses Monkey Wrench's hand grenades to right his vehicle. Now, <laughs> uh, it's sequences like that that bring into question Larry Hammer's sobriety. Because for a guy who typically situates all his sort of military action in real-world physics, to right an armored vehicle by throwing grenades under its... I don't know. Yeah, but it's the Dreadnoughts. He's established them as being fools. I mean, they're offering donuts to Cobra Commander earlier on. The way that they think about things is very different from, from the way that actual military people think about it. But it and works. Can, it, it works, but you can kind of see the contrast between actual military tactics versus... Um, kind of like the layman, essentially. Anyway, having fisticuffs on the Thunder Machine was kind of a callback to the issue where Hawk gets shot down by Cobra Commander on the back of a his tank. But I didn't like it. Firstly, never let the truth get in the way of a good story. And that is a rule, if you guys ever like want to write anything interesting. Um, secondly, <laughs> you uh, Rob mentioned earlier, they were releasing issues weekly. Well, uh, yeah, twice, twice a month. Yeah, and uh, can you imagine the deadline? And imagine, like, I'm, I'm pretty sure that Larry Homer was fully aware of that stupidity, but he was kind of like, you know what? He can't think of anything better to do right now, and I don't think anybody would give a fuck and, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, focus on the more important parts of the story. Because I think if there's that much deadline happening, you fail to give a shit. Uh, the fact uh, that there's as much out as they did is impressive. I'm not going to give them the easy way out. It's just one of those things. It's the Thunder Machine. You can do whatever you want. That's all. I mean, like, that's all they're saying is, like, when you buy the Thunder Machine, you can roll that thing around and it's all good. So you're saying there's Hasbro intervention. Thrasher is a character that Ama enjoys just because uh, he, he stays in the picture for a little bit. The battles didn't really inspire me. I think what... What made me never forget this uh, particular war is just the uh, the payoff frames. You know, the Baroness being one uh, strapped to the hood. And then obviously, like, you got people crowing about Serpentor and his, his battle technique. But really, Zartan, because of his lack of ego, because he can change his face, he sees the strings being pulled. And he's like, oh, okay, this is where I need to be. And... Of course, the glorious frame where Mindbender actually loses his monocle uh, and Serpentor gains an arrow. <laughs> <laughs> Which is brilliant because, I mean, I think Zartan, I'm not sure, I think he, either he was realizing that they were, they were, I mean, they were really losing, that this was going nowhere, he was not going to win if Serpentor rolls up there now. Or he felt it was going on for too long and that, it, I mean, it would be a stalemate. I yeah, think he didn't want to die for Cobra Commander. I, uh, you know. Well, I think going around the horn, uh, which do you think is more true? Was Zartan just ending the stalemate, or did he think this is the only way to snatch victory from the jaws of defeat? I think Zartan has a, a fuck politics kind of policy. And that's something you definitely... 
he understands politics, but he doesn't like them. So I think I think putting an arrow in Serpento's head was just him saying, you know what, enough of this political shit. You know, it's done. Couldn't he have Let's made take that out the shot when he arrived at the, the airstrip? I think he doesn't like to necessarily take things into his own hands unless it's exceptionally necessary. Like, he's like the, the kind of guy who like lays back until it's absolutely necessary to do something. Rob's on it. Zartan, like, maybe, <clears throat> and again, this is a reach, and I'm acknowledging it, but Zartan is a master of disguise. He's essentially a boogeyman. You need to scare people? Uh, let's put a face on it. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, he's got a couple. So, like, he doesn't need to flex unless things are out of hand. Like, oh, people aren't getting things right? Zartan, let's get things straight. Yeah, I, I think that's things really that's... weren't going right at the end there. Without Baroness helping Fred, he was losing it. I mean, he, he wasn't making the right decisions. Suddenly, everyone is pulling up onto him. And he even asked, what can I do? He has no idea what to do. And Zarana is like, will you stop being such a wimp? Zartan's like, do I have to do everything around here? And then he says that next page, you know, nine panels later, he's ended the Cobra Civil War. Yep. Well, and also, like, Fred, I don't know if he hooks up with Zarana in this comic line, does he? No. Okay, but he's definitely distracted. So that's essentially just new money getting distracted by shiny objects. Well, hell, I mean, it might have happened between panels. It certainly didn't happen uh, in the heat of the battle. I don't think they had quite uh, the time. And and perhaps he couldn't really rise to the occasion while Serpentor and the Joes were knocking down his door. But, yeah, that's not, that's not uh, good, it, It's quite possible that since the Baroness has gone over to the Destro side, uh, all he's got left is the pink-haired bitch. Well, had she gone over to him by this point, she was still stuck to the front of their uh, their vehicle. Well, I mean, in the immediate aftermath of the Cobra Island Civil War, Zoran is still very much in the picture and wanting to be a bit of a climber. I imagine, yeah, it's quite possible, since she is the, the only eligible female <laughs> left on Cobra Island at that point. Well, there's a lot of people enjoying pink hair nowadays, too. So, hmm. the old flat circles back around. Um, uh-huh. yeah, I mean, it, but I, I do, I do have a little bit of a hair to split. You said, you said Zartan sees politics, or maybe he he understands them. Yeah. He did seem genuinely uh, unhappy about the treaty that was made at the end. So, like, he didn't see that twist. He was just just as sick as uh, Duke was about it, or was that Hawk? Um, Hawk. Yeah, I, he, say, I think he saw it coming. I just don't think he agrees with it. <laughs> That's fair, that's fair. For a duplicitous master of disguise, he's got quite an honorable streak to him. I suppose it speaks to his uh, his martial arts training, which we find out you know much later, but you know, he he definitely wanted to turn over a new leaf. He he's got this kind of I don't know, this split personality or multiple personalities in fact. Uh, and part of it wants to be an ethical human being. And and so he He's standing side by side with Hawk saying, like, damn, now all the backstabbing and the deal-making is going to start. We're just soldiers. I'm sure at some point the Joker has helped the Batman. So, like, I I think that he's more of an agent of chaos. He he just kind of, he doesn't really hate anybody. He's like, oh, we're killing this guy? Okay. I don't know. That's just just where, where I'm sitting. Well, it occurs to me that perhaps he's wearing so many different hats, he's forgotten which one is his true self. 
and him standing shoulder to shoulder with Hawk expressing disgust at how the, the conflict has ended is just another expression of how truly confused Zartan's ultimate personality or persona is. Uh, is there a buddy con in the, in the future? For somebody like Firefly and somebody like Zartan, it's very easy to do your job when you're getting paid, when you're looking at it as a job. When you're looking at it as an ideal that you have to follow, that requires you as a person to be involved there. Which means that, like, uh, and I mean, I'm speaking bluntly, just also for our listeners, um, but it's kind of like if I'm fighting for Cobra and I've been doing it for 15 years of my life and have somehow survived... I might question my choices because as a person, I'm growing, I'm maturing, I'm changing, my philosophies are changing, and I may feel, okay, I need to get out of this. This is not what I want to do anymore. You know, maybe when I was 20 and I was full of, like, fire and I wanted to, you know, take a, a press or fight the government, whatever, this was my option, but now I'm not feeling it so much. Um, so in the in the eyes of Zartan, you've got, like, a guy that's kind of, maybe you know, he's, we we believe that maybe he's worked. I mean, he's got his training from somewhere, so you know he's worked for like maybe government agencies and whatever as some kind of spy, some kind of assassin, whatever. And maybe he had a a personal philosophy of not being able to choose sides. Maybe it was just much easier to do it as a job to go. Oh, I'm going to kill this person, get money for it. I don't care about that person either which way because it's just a job. And then probably found that Cobra was one of the more lucrative options, keeping him more in business and keeping him in line. You know, keeping him focused, not having to make him think about where his loyalties lie. And now all of a sudden, his loyalties are in question. What he's doing with his life is in question. And now he has to make real decisions again. And maybe, you know, maybe just ending it the way it does prevents that from happening. You know, stops him from being a zero and just being a one. Just being somebody that you know what he's going to do or that he knows what he's going to do. Do you think Zartan had some beef with Serpentor specifically? Or he was just acting decisively to ensure that his side won. I don't think he has anything against uh, Serpentor personally. I, I actually think in another, in an alternate universe, those two might have gotten on very well. So what's motivating Zartan to kill him? To end the war? Well, the, uh, for starters, simplicity. I mean, if Serpentor rises to power, he's going to be a much harder thing to take out. And also, Serpentor doesn't believe in mercenaries. Serpentor is very much like, you're devoted to the cause. You fight for, you know, a greater mandate. You don't um, do this for money. And that is a threat to somebody like Zartan who doesn't want to have some kind of emotional stock or some kind of personal stock in this war. So, Kujo, what was Zartan's stake in all of this? What, how did you understand his allegiance to Cobra Commander? No, I think that it just wasn't amusing to Zartan anymore. Because if you find him a couple frames earlier when... Uh... Cobra Commander's sweating the details from Baroness. He's He's got a grin on his face. He's like, hey, get your house in order before you start talking to me. He's having fun with it, and then at one point, it's not fun anymore. So, like, I agree, but I don't see him with Serpentor, because for those very same reasons, Cobra Commander's faceless, so is Zartan. Those two work hand in hand. Mm-hmm. So, it wasn't so much an active decision to take up arms in the cause of the Cobra Commander, as it was just like, I default to you, Cobra Commander, because I'm not going to follow this Serpentor guy. Who the hell is he anyway? I wasn't responsible for his creation. I have no stake in him. I mean, that's how I understand Zartan's motivation at that point. Like the majority of the Cobras, he just sided with the guy who is 
Cobra Commander and historically in charge. In the final analysis, it was Serpentor and Dr. Mindbender that created the Splinter Group. It's just ironic that the Crimson Guard, who should be the most loyal to Cobra Commander, opted against him. Yeah, but they're led by Tomek and Zamat, and they'd probably just go with their, you know, their leaders go. I think it was established in Giojo Yearbook number four, which precedes the Cobra Island Civil War, that in fact Serpentor and Mindbender are aware that Fred is in fact not the real Cobra Commander. Why? Don't you mean that Cobra Commander isn't the real Fred? <laughs> and it's quite possible that Serpentor and Mindbender discreetly approached Tomax and Zamot to side with them against the imposter knowing that the Baroness was well entrenched, and if they were to approach her, she would have spilt the beans and, and let Fred know that they're onto him. People are in love with the Game of Thrones. This was like, either this or Transformers was like your first taste of seeing that, like, not everybody's telling the company line. As a kid, I think. I think that's what made it so interesting to me. I'm one of those kids who, I really like the bad guys because... Uh, my parents just had a weird knack of surprising me with a toy, and it always happened to be a bad guy. So, like, Skeletor or, you know, uh, General Trag or whatever, you know. Uh, my parents just had a knack for doing that. So, I always used to, like, I, I just grew up to liking bad guy characters. When I used to watch cartoons, I used to always enjoy it when, for example, a bad guy wasn't, like, fully bad. Like, he had a bit of good in him. And I think, I, I don't think I'm alone in that. I think a lot of kids at that time kind of felt that way. And that is why characters like Starscream and stuff are so popular, because Starscream, for all intents and purposes, Starscream's a whiny bitch. But the thing is, he does tend to work with the Autobots. So, you know, maybe that's the kind of feeling that Marvel was trying to evoke in people, you know, invoke in its readers. Like, maybe maybe we should try and find ways to make these characters, like, almost like good guys in the hearts of people to make them popular again. Oh, to make the bad guys more nuanced. It makes them more interesting if they aren't fully evil. Yeah, they're semi-evil, quasi-evil. I have a little bit of weird randomness to chew on that, that doesn't need to necessarily make the cut. Um, You know what's weird is, like, quite possibly the rise of the anti-hero came with the same rise of divorce because you started to view one parent as anti-hero. And now look at it now. It's all Suicide Squad, brother. That's pretty bizarre. I, that's the first time I've ever put those two things together. That is quite an interesting idea, where your heroes suddenly become not necessarily heroes. That, that's a horrible note to end on. I, I just... <laughs> to wrap this up, um, there's some cool quotes at the end of the, at least of the, you know, the, the main Civil War, where the Civil War itself ends. Cobra Commander and Mindbender kind of shook hands. Hawks like, the soldiers always lose and the politicians and dealmakers always come out smelling of roses. And then on the next page, the final page, Tonorat quips, pretty quiet up there. Could it all be over already? And Gang Ho says, when the shooting stops, all it ever means is that the backstabbing has begun. Which is well, quite appropriate, I think, to the end of this. And, and something to think about. And then the final thing that we have here um, is one of Destro's lackeys. There was some campaign. We hardly fired a shot, and we got what we started out to get. And that's ends. the right way to do it. And that's what he ends with. So it's really cool that you have a lot of stuff to think about when you finish this entire arc. And the cool thing is that 
although the Civil War has finished, there's still, like, a lot of things that kind of wrap up after that, which is quite awesome. And I think, if, I don't know if I'm correct or not, but I mean, the issue after that, that's when you first are introduced to the jugglers. I don't think... Second time. Second time, but, like, it really feels like they're pulling strings, and suddenly, like, shit really goes down after the Civil War with G.I. Joe. There's, like, real heavy repercussions, which I think we should definitely discuss in a future episode. Mm. Yeah, you realize that the, the bad guys aren't always the ones wearing the masks and, you know, shouting phrases with sibilances at the end, and, you know. In fact, the Cobra Island Civil War was perhaps the clearest indication of how every character in the G.I. Joe and Cobra world is not entirely 100% good, not 100% evil. They're all on some kind of scale. Like, a character like Zartan seems to have this nobility about him, but it's an almost an arbitrariness. Like, he could be a Joe if he wasn't so completely arbitrary about who he kills and for what. He wasn't like, psychotic. Like, <laughs> I found sympathy for the devil through uh, the Civil War, basically. I kind of, I started liking the bad guys in ways that I hadn't before. Because the bad guys were always united against G.I. Joe, and G.I. Joe were identified as the good guys, and so the bad guys could never be good. But in Civil War, it's like, yeah, I like that bad guy, because he took out that bigger bad guy who was a douchebag. <laughs> <laughs> and that's cool. All well, of a sudden, I like the bad guys. In the Civil War, I mean, the G.I. Joe's involvement is very... I mean, they're essentially just there so that you can still have G.I. Joe on the front of the cover. <laughs> it very much is just about the Cobra. Cobras and bringing them up and showing you that they, yeah, they're more than just these very dark shadows, these, these evil entities. Yeah, like I said, like funny faces with funny voices uh, doing big bad things. You know? Yeah, exactly. And then and then Larry Harmer keeps going with this theme of like, bad guys aren't all necessarily bad. And then uh, you know after the, as I said after this, he starts coloring the, the military itself and saying they aren't all good either. Mm-hmm. Which I th- I think is, is you know we suddenly get these nice themes uh, coming out af- after the whole purpose of the war. Mm, who gets the blame? Well, I think this has been very successful. This has been a a very good discussion of the Cobras of War in episode 68 of G.I. Jober. Very good. Does anyone have anything they'd like to add at this point? Maybe a couple tiny footnotes. Mm. Uh, We get to see Crocmaster wave at some G.I. Joe guys. Don't forget that. Iconic. We get to see Rattlers as the superior (laughs) players that they've been. (laughs) Uh, yeah, am I missing rule the air. They do. There, there's one more tidbit that I'm leaving out. Steven, save me, brother. Which uh, faction do you suppose has the best animal representation, guys? Oh. Discuss among yourselves. Wow. Well, we just mentioned, <laughs> <laughs> we just mentioned Crocmaster. I mean, who else Who else has their pets on the scene? Well, I've got a question, then. Uh, if we're not going to talk about animal companions... Did the Cobra Island Civil War compel you to go out and buy, or, uh, or or covet at least, any particular figures or vehicles? It gives me a lot more respect for, like, Zartan as a toy. Like, it makes me glad that I got him when I did. <laughs> uh, I suppose the Mamba, like, when I got my Mamba and I was trying to find some comic footage, some of the best Mamba stuff is in the Civil War. There's that. The Mamba rotor blade goes into the water for a second. That kind of pissed me off. 
Never let the truth get in the way of a good story. Alrighty, alrighty. <laughs> but no, I only remember Crocmaster. So honestly, Serpentor's side should have won because those that have nature on their side always win. <laughs> okay, hip man. Going half the battle. There we go. Boom. Shut out there, Cat Stevens. <laughs> <laughs> For me, I think like I, I never liked the look of um, Gold Head Destro, but this. The Civil War kind of makes me um, respect it a bit. I don't know. Goldhead Destro is my number one Destro choice. Whoa! Don't give away your definitive sculpt of Destro yet, Paul. Dun, dun, dun. Oh, shit. You said Pimp Daddy, right? Pimp Daddy Destro is, is strong. I love how he's so, like, into Africa with these wildlife patterns. Yeah, I was going to say, isn't, like, gold, red, and black, isn't that, like, hard Africa-type color? No? Yeah, well, that all depends on which side of the, uh, you know, uh, which side of Africa you're on. If you're on, like, deepest, darkest, uh, you know, terrorist Africa, then yeah. Yeah, yeah. Red, black, and gold are very much the colors. Again, like, I can't, I can't decipher in my, 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 in the, from the past, like, whether I was just done with G.I. Joe at that time, but I really did not like, uh, Destro's Army. Well, they're just such wacky designs, the, the vehicles he comes out with. I mean, like, you thought Cobra had wack, wacky vehicles before. Then you saw what Destro had come up on his own without, like, Cobra Commander kind of, like, saying, No. Not that one. <laughs> no. <laughs> I want them to be lower to the ground. Who knew that Cobra Commander was actually responsible for uh, QCs on, <laughs> on Destro's production line? Because as soon as you take Cobra Commander out of the picture... You come up with the demon, which is the most bizarre, like, non-tank of all the non-tanks the G.I. Joe line possesses. This is some, some wacky shit. All with gold highlights, Destro's demon. But no, the toy that the Cobra Island Civil War made me fall in love with the most, uh, no surprise for guessing... The whale. Falcon. Oh. Falcon's... Shining moment in G.I. Joe is the leadership of that insertion team. He is the man. He's like, come guys, put it in. <laughs> the antithesis of his movie persona. Because he is a stoic, very well-adjusted, very realistic, very serious soldier uh, in the Cobra Island Civil War. Don't knock down He better fucking be. <laughs> Falcon is an underutilized character because, let's face it, there were just too many characters populating the G.I. Joe world at the time he came out. But he got a time to shine in the Cobra Civil War, and I'm grateful for it. And it certainly does allow me to color the, the action figure with a little bit more weight and heroic nature than the Don Johnson representation in the 1987 movie. Well, when your big brother is Duke, I mean, how do you compare to that? That's only in the cartoon. Or... <laughs> no, yeah, man, the cartoon which uh, gave us the war on drugs and Falcon <laughs> and Falcon's drug addiction. <laughs> a user. Wow, I haven't got that far in the cartoons. I can't. Oh, you love. Well, I can't wait to show you some of my dick. Oh. <laughs> oh. And on that uh, note, I think uh, this has been a good podcast, a good a, a good record, and a good time. Yeah, we had fun. Episode sixty-eight. We are out.
thanks for joining us, everybody. We love to hear from you, by the way. So find us on Facebook. Find us on Podbean. Find us on iTunes. Talk to us. Well, whatever you do, get us out of this freighter. Yeah. I actually would love to hear people's thoughts on, on the Cobra Civil War. And the way to do that, if you're on Twitter, is at 86Cujo. I'll talk Cobra Civil War. Yeah, hit us up. You know, at G.I. Joburg. Hit up Steven and Paul and, and me, too, if you can find us. I'll definitely start going on more often if you start talking to me about Cobra Civil War <laughs> and uh, the Black Void of Baroness. <laughs> oh, is it the Dark Void? Sorry. The Vaginal uh, Void. Vaginal Void. Oh, void. This is Robert signing out. Oh, Special God. Missions Cujo sinking back into the marsh. This is Paul plotting revenge. This is uh, Destro polishing my smooth helmet. <laughs> 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 good night, good night.